Hey there, Outlaw History Podcast listeners. This is a special bonus for you that you can listen to or not. I know that uh, a lot of you come here for the history and aren't interested in my talk about pro wrestling, but I wanted to put this podcast in the Outlaw History Podcast feed. It is the fifth episode of my new podcast with my tag team partner, Ben E. Dangerously. Uh, podcast, Outlaw History Podcast alumni Ben Lindsay. It is called the Oh My God Cast, an ECW retrospective. It is a podcast about Eastern, later Extreme Championship Wrestling, a very popular cult wrestling promotion in the 1990s. And we're starting to get good at it, so I want more people to hear it. And I'm hoping that if you are one of the wrestling fans who listens to my podcast but hasn't yet checked out the Oh My God Cast, I hope that you will hear it and like it and decide to give it a shot. And also, uh, there's no music on this episode because this is the first episode that I actually edited myself and uh, I haven't figured out how to do the music yet and also producer Chris hasn't sent me the music yet. So hopefully by the time we do another episode, it'll be back to normal. But I hope it sounds decent and uh, tweet me at Scalawag History or at OMG Podcast ECW to tell me what you think. Enjoy the special look at the Oh My God cast and ECW retrospective with myself and Ben E. Dangerously. You know what? Screw it. We're doing a cold open this week. Ben, what's happening? Not much, brother. What's up with you? Man, this has been a crazy week. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what day it is. I'm not even sure what show we're doing right now. I don't know which way is up and which is down. All that we need to know is that we're talking about the wonderful wrestling. Yeah, where are we? Been introduced the podcast this week. You're you're calling the match today, buddy. <laughs> well, all right. Hello and welcome everyone to a special edition of the Oh My God ECW uh, Retrocast. I am Ben Dangerously. You're fucking up. I give you, I give you one <laughs> shot and you fuck it up. I am the uh, Marty Jannetty to your Shawn Michaels this week. So, uh. <laughs> this is the Oh My God cast and ECW retrospective. <laughs> Isn't that what I said? You, you were close. You okay. Were close. Well, you know, close count. I, I was oh. as close as Sandman is to having a good drop kick. Let me just say <laughs> Kazuchika Okada, he is not. <laughs> Oh, Ben, I got banned from Twitter this week. Did you see how fucked up that was? Yeah, I saw how fucked up that was. That was insane. Oh, all because I called Dinesh D'Souza a piece of shit. Like, everybody on the planet doesn't already know Dinesh D'Souza's a piece of shit. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's, I don't, dude, that was so, so fucked up. There was you know, nothing in that you said that was close to actually inciting violence. If saying somebody, <laughs> you hope somebody burns in hell if it's real, is inciting violence, then Twitter should be banning everybody. Right. I did not wish physical harm on anybody. I uh, sincerely hope for eternal damnation of a soul should that soul exist. That is not inciting violence. No. And uh, several other people showed me that, like, yeah, I have, like, death threats in my mention from actual Nazis, like, every day. And, <laughs> yeah. And they don't get banned. But I get banned for hurting uh, fascist talking heads feelings. Yeah. And the sad thing about it is I use Twitter quite a bit. And I mean, I had nowhere near the follower account that you do. I hadn't spent the, the amount of time that you had in building it up. And I like Twitter, but that is a drawback to it. You know, it's 
so fucked. I was obviously initially really upset because you know I was I was on the road to uh, nine thousand followers, and all of a sudden it was just it was gone. Yeah, and I was really upset, and uh, I was gone from Twitter for about five minutes. I set up a new account. Uh, you can find me now at Scalawag History. That is S C A L A W A G History. And uh, I posted a little video explaining what happened. And uh, within 24 hours, I was back over 5,000 followers. Boom. <laughs> so, yeah, apparently there's there's some people out there who like what I have to say. Or a lot of them, uh, a lot of new followers, actually. I, I, I found uh, a lot of the old ones have found me. But uh, I got a lot of new ones uh, who appreciated me telling Dinesh D'Souza where to head in. <laughs> well, awesome. That is great to hear. Hopefully you will eclipse 9,000 before long. You know, I, I believe, I believe that I will. I went a few, a few minutes there where I didn't have a lot of hope, but my, my hopes were very quickly restored and I am back to doing what I do best. And that is stirring up shit on the internet <laughs> for, for good reasons. Right. For no, good, totally. I, I'm not, I'm not out trolling and, and bothering people and, and trying to, to hurt people's feelings, I'm uh, I'm calling out bad history and calling out the ways that bad, nefarious people lie to the American public and the public of the world. Well, if there's one thing this country likes, it's, it's fictions about itself. So, you know. Ain't that the truth. I, I will be satisfied if I ever get over <laughs> a thousand because I'm like 800 followers away from it. <laughs> Speaking of fictional versions of real life, professional wrestling. Yes. And good professional wrestling. <laughs> I, I love these shows. <laughs> I love these shows. Oh, my God. I'm already laughing thinking about what I'm going to have to explain later. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so you and I talked about this. Uh, we're actually going to do this is a simulcast. Uh, this is going to be in the regular Oh My God cast feed. And we're also going to put it as a special episode over in the Outlaw History Podcast feed because I want to show my listeners over there what we do over here and uh, give them a taste and hope that it'll entice more of them to come listen to us because we need more people to listen to the Oh My Godcast and ECW retrospective. We certainly do. And I want to give a big shout out and hello to all the listeners of the Outlaw History Podcast and welcome to the show. Eastern Championship Wrestling, May 4th, 1993. May the 4th be with you. Take a sip from my comically oversized jug of water here. You got to stay hydrated. That's right. Well, especially for these shows. <laughs> I have like a really long paragraph about this first, this first segment. <laughs> oh my God. Jay Sully and Stevie Wonderful welcome us to the show, as is their custom. They announce that the Super Destroyers against Larry Winters and Tony Stetson for the tag titles, and Sandman versus Sal Balomo for the ECW title. Jay Sully says Eddie Gilbert has a big surprise. Todd Gordon comes out and introduces the video clip from last week. And this is the point where I got confused, because what they showed with Todd Gordon and Eddie Gilbert, which was supposed to be from last week's TV... The part where they're face-to-face and Gordon introduces the video clip from Terry Funk. When what actually happened last week, and I double-checked my notes, was that they showed the video clip of the Eddie Gilbert-Terry Funk match. And then Todd Gordon's magic voice appeared to make a special announcement that Eddie Gilbert was full of shit. I mean, you know, they're poor. They can't have a continuity editor. 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I got a little lost at that point. But then yeah. I realized that none of this matters because we got a video of Terry Funk on his ranch cutting a promo on his horse's ass whom he believed to be Eddie Gilbert. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> you just you have to watch this. I cannot adequately explain with words how great Terry Funk is. You have to go watch this promo. I completely agree. I mean, this was, if for no other reason than to see his facials, there's a reason that Funk actually got jobs in Hollywood. So he explains the rules of what he calls a Texas chain match massacre. Yeah, and funky <laughs> name, but you know, whatever. The payoff to this is the horse <laughs> does the most ridiculous fake fart I have ever heard. And I normally, I typically don't find toilet humor very funny, but Terry Funk can make anything great. And the way it, like you said, his facial expressions, the way yeah. he sells this ridiculous fake horse fart. Oh, then what he says after. And, then oh Terry my God. Says, and you won't be surprised that this is, this is the name of the episode this week. <laughs> the horse the horse that Terry Funk believes to be Eddie Gilbert lets out this long, ridiculous fart that Terry Funk sells with the best facials I have ever seen. And then he says, your voice has changed, but your breath is still the same. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yes. It was so great. This isn't even the funniest Terry Funk segment we're going to talk about on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's still, Oh my God, Terry Funk. There's a reason that Terry Funk is my favorite wrestler of all time. He is the greatest. Dude, it, it, the thing about it is, given everything that we've always heard about Vince and his love for toilet humor, if from not only the podcast that we listen to, but just from watching the WWE product, if somebody <laughs> had shown him that clip in 1993, he probably would have bought the whole damn promotion. Well, I think that uh, Terry Funk's horse was still a bit of a sore spot with Vince. Have, <laughs> well, you, ever, have you heard true. the... Have you heard the story about Terry Funk quitting the WWF? What was it, 86, 87? Yeah. I can't remember if he called Vince or he sent him a letter. But he just, I think he, he sent said, him the letter. He said, um, I'm not coming to wherever my horse is sick. I think he's dying. <laughs> <sighs> Terry Funk. What a great man. Yes. JT Smith and Glenn Osborne versus Eddie Gilbert and Don Morocco. We have a match. <laughs> I was waiting. I was waiting to see if you were going to say anything. I was going to see. Don't edit that. <laughs> I wanted to see how long it would take. <laughs> My main takeaway from this match is, fuck, JT Smith was good. Yeah, JT Smith is, you know, of the jobbers that we have seen or the enhancement talent, I'll start using that term, um, that we've seen on these. He is by far, in a way, the best. He's actually better than some of the guys getting pushes. And I have to say that Morocco, for like the 45 seconds he was in this match and actually wrestling, looked really good, too. And it kind of reminded me of how awesome he was back in the late 70s and early 80s in championship wrestling from Florida and when he was in Georgia championship wrestling. He did look good in this match. Um, they get the heat on Smith. He's a great babyface in peril. We just talked about it. He's great. He sells great. Uh, Osborne makes a comeback. Hits a very scary-looking Tombstone Piledriver on Gilbert. And then 
we get the ECW debut of Paul E. Dangerously. Yes. So they had bumped the referee. And Osborne hit the tombstone and went for the cover. Paul E. ran down the aisle, hit Osborne in the head with the cell phone, and put Gilbert on top for the pin. Yes. Fantastic. Um, a couple. The only other things that I have as comments from this match is I liked it when Stevie Wonderful made a reference to the Asiatic spike with Morocco's taped thumb. And, yeah. you know, credit to Smith and Morocco, even though they didn't hit it perfectly for the crossbody that was supposed to take Morocco over and himself over the top rope to the floor. They didn't quite make it over the top rope and went through the second and third rope, um, but it was still a really cool move. A nice yeah. move to get them out of the ring. And uh, for our younger listeners who were confused about a cell phone being used as a weapon, <laughs> this was 1993. Yes. Cell phones were still very, very rare, and they were still about the size of a brick. Yeah. So he, he, he wasn't hitting him with the with the uh, Google phone for whatever. <laughs> right. No iPhone was armed in the <laughs> making of this match. Although I have to say it was a smaller cellular phone than what he used to carry around in WCW. You know, it was. Uh, he had... Uh, technology had developed since yes. his, uh, his 89 run in WCW. I mean, I guess that's the shame of it all is nobody could do the poly dangerously gimmick today because you couldn't use a phone as your foreign object. You know you what? Had... I bet, I bet there's somebody out there who could get it over. Yeah, probably. But man, that'd be a lot of phones. Tell Orange Cassidy to do it. He can get over like the stupidest stuff I've ever seen. So that's true. And that damn fine wrestler, you know, it, <laughs> I, I, I don't I don't want to get out into the weeds here, but you know he's he, he's a controversial character, and um, I, I I think that what he does he does really well. Now, if if you want to say that what he does shouldn't be done, that's a fair opinion. Well, here's the thing, and I don't want to get into the weeds either, but I do not like the Orange Cassidy character, and I'm actually surprised that it got over as much as it did since Darby Allen the week before had done a lot of you know dives and stuff with his hands taped behind his back. However, Orange Cassidy used to be, I believe it was Army Ant in Shikara, oh. and he can fucking go. So whenever they, whenever he kind of drops a laconic thing, if he ever does drop that, I expect really good matches out of him. There you go. Little, uh, little AEW. Since, since we didn't do our wrestling review on the front end this week, we're going we're gonna to do it intermittently in bits and pieces here. Yes. Uh, so we get Paulie announcing, and we get a lot of Paulie talking on the show, and it makes the show so much better. Yeah, yeah. There's Pauly, they've got three guys who can really talk, and Paulie yes. is, with the exception of Funk, the best one. Yeah. Uh, Paulie announces that the Dangerous Alliance is merging with Hot Stuff International, and his goal is to bankrupt Todd Gordon because he hates Pennsylvania for some reason. My comment was, ha. Huh. Good day on you, Paulie. You actually did it. It just took you longer than you thought. <laughs> there you go. I didn't even think about it. Though I did think about it from the next episode when uh, when Heyman and Gordon were arguing. Yeah. We'll get a backstage interview with Hunter Q. Robbins the Turd for the tag team champions, the Super Destroyers. He says that this is uh, Winners of Stetson's last shot at the tag titles. And then we get the Super Destroyers versus Larry Winters and Tony Stetson for the ECW Tag Time. Yeah, and I was actually pleasantly surprised with Hunter Q. Robinson's promo there. This is probably the first time that he's ever gotten extended time on the mic so far, and I really thought he did a good job. He was really good on these shows. Like, everything he did, on the next show especially, 
what whatever happened to that guy? He was really good. I have no idea, man. That's I had never seen him before. We started watching this stuff, so I, if anybody out there knows, please let us know because I wonder what happened to him after this run is done. Yeah, tweet us at OMG Podcast ECW and tell us what happened to Hunter Q. Robbins the Turd because he was he was a great manager and a missed opportunity. Um, I wrote here they had a completely generic tag match. I completely agree. The only note that I took from it was like, oh, Shades of the Steiners and the Pitbulls when the at the opening of the match because both of the Super D's were down in like the classic Pitbull position. That was the other match. Oh, was it? I thought it was yeah. this match. No, that was the other match. Mm, okay. Because I'm gonna I'm gonna point out some I, I was gonna point out something regarding that later. I think maybe they did it in both matches, but they definitely did it in the other match. Okay, I, I I'm almost positive that they did it in this match, but they could have done it in the other All match. Right, maybe they did it both. Yeah. Uh, Sully complained about the Super D's not obeying the rules of ECW. Yes. That was funny. And Wonderful was a complete dick to Sully in this because he kept messing with him about which Destroyer was which. <laughs> yes, yes. This is a this is a recurring thing with these two. Actually, I lied. I did write one other thing about this match. One of the Destroyers hit a pump handle slam, a move I generally mark for, but he made it look boring and impressive feat. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote, heat on Larry Winters. Stetson finally gets a hot tag that was lukewarm at best. Yeah. Robbins passes one of the Super D's the gimmick. Stetson goes for a backdrop suplex. The Super D hits him with the gimmick and pins him to retain the titles. Yeah, that really seemed like an unnecessary finish. I mean, I get, once the we get to the end of the episode, it made sense. But I was like, why was he not in any more trouble when he resorted to the foreign object than that? I wrote, I would be happy that this feud is over, but being a historian, I have the curse of hindsight, and I know that it's not <laughs> over. Yeah, man, this has been a this has been a WWE terribly long drawn out feud between these two guys, <laughs> these two teams, I should say. I mean, I wouldn't mind a long feud if if all the guys involved, except for Hunter Q. Robbins, the turd, weren't so fucking boring. No yeah. disrespect to uh, to Larry Winters or Tony Stetson, who were competent professional wrestlers. Cool. They were not good enough to get anything interesting out of these Super Destroyers. Well, what is weird is like, and I guess it's the difference between wrestling and what are essentially squash matches to actual matches, but I remember us really liking the Super Destroyers the first couple of times we saw them. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe that they maybe they need to be. A lot of guys look great squashing jobbers. Yeah, and don't totally having actual matches. <laughs> Goldberg. <laughs> also true. Actually, a much that's, better one. That's Sin the name everyone. Goldberg. Yeah. Sal Balomo cuts a completely nonsensical promo with his hair covering his face. Did you get anything? <laughs> did you get anything from this or either of the Sal Balomo promos on these shows? I got one from the second. But nothing from this. For the ECW Heavyweight Championship, the Sandman with Miss Peaches versus Sal Balomo. Ben, what the fuck did I watch here? Oh, you watched a guy who's starting to put on weight and his body suit doesn't quite fit him anymore. And, and, and not that I'm one to talk about anybody's weight because I'm a pretty fat bastard myself. But <laughs> his suit, I did notice that his suit is now open. He can't. He doesn't zip it anymore. Yeah. And this is where I, I made a note to myself, and I guess it's kind of the gimmick, but because when they showed a highlight clip later, he says the same thing, but when Sandman hits his one-footed drop kick, Sully goes, <laughs> what a beautiful drop kick! And I was <sighs> like, dude, I don't know who lied to you or what matches you've seen that you think that's a beautiful drop kick. <laughs> he, he has not seen Kazuchiko Okada for certain. Uh, definitely not. Well, uh, you know, he's my Sable. age. 
he's my age, so he would have been uh, six years old at the time. <laughs> right. He still probably threw a better dropkick than the Sandman did. I, I imagine so. They did some mat wrestling, and I was confused and put off and upset by it. Yeah, I couldn't tell because it seemed like Sandman was starting to use slightly hillish tactics in this. And Belomo, while still kind of operating as a heel, was starting to do face stuff. Hence, you know, the scientific wrestling they tried to do. And there's a point in the match where Belomo gets knocked out of the ring and then it just goes wandering through the crowd and like starts shaking hands or interacting with the crowd. And I was like, what in the hell is going on? And the commentary team was even like, he needs to get back in the ring. And Sully's like, Sandman doesn't want to win this way. This is a count out, blah, blah, blah. Well, they count him out, and Sandman is more than happy to win this way and takes his title and goes. And Belomo is completely confused as to what the hell just happened and ha- why the match is over. I wrote, this sucked and was dumb. <laughs> well, that, that sums it up much more succinctly than I did. Rock and Rebel does a backstage promo. He's still feuding with the Sandman because the things on this show that suck will not end. I thought it was a decent promo. Again, the inclusion of Tigra and Peaches gives them something to do other than be ring girls. So, okay. I do think Tigra is more attractive than Peaches for what that's worth, since that's essentially what this feud is about. But Tigra yeah, is the, we, we, we of course are our good feminist here on the Oh My God cast and ECW retrospective, but uh, Tigra is a, a very attractive lady. We get the Rock and Rebel with Tigra versus Ernesto Benefico. Although that's not what they were calling him. What did they call him? They were calling him like it was Spanish. So it was like more like it was, I can't even say it. It was just solely was screwing that up really, really bad. The crawl at the bottom of the screen informs us that the next TV tapings will be May 14th and 15th at the ECW arena. Boom. There we, we go. Are almost gone, we are almost done with the Cabrini College Fieldhouse. Almost. It'll be sad to see it go. Not really. I'll get over it. <laughs> this was a rock and rebel squash. He won with the spine buster and pinned him with one foot. Yeah, again, you know, squash match, and it's easy to look good in squash matches, but I do think rock and rebel looks good. Um, it's a kind of a shame that he kind of goes off the deep end and commits the atrocities that we covered in an earlier episode, but the guy could actually work. It's also going to be kind of a, a shame in retrospect some of the things that Paulie says about him in the next episode. <laughs> that That is true. And it is also interesting here that they cut to a commercial with Rebel holding Beneficio for an attack by Tiger that we never see. Oh, I didn't even catch that. I must. But uh, moving from that to a great segment, we are at ringside with Jay Sully, Todd Gordon, and Hunter Q. Robbins the Turd. <laughs> Gordon has a contract for Robbins. He says that Winters and Stetson will put up their hair in a no-DQ match for the tag titles next week against the Super Destroyer. Robin signs it without reading it, and then Gordon informs him that the contract he just signed stipulates that during that match, Robbins will be handcuffed to Tommy Cairo. Dun-dun-dun! He was not a happy turd. He was not, and that was a classic wrestling segment where the cocky heel manager gets outsmarted by the promotion, and I loved it. It was great. He was... We said, but he was really good. On no, he was. He was on the, the on these two sets of shows. He was very good. I did think it was odd that he was being handcuffed to Tommy Cairo because at this point I couldn't think of why he would be. Again, we have to um, give some faith to the booking committee of ECW, which I think is still just Eddie Gilbert at this it, point. Though Heyman might have been assisting. 
I'm sure Heyman, it's going to make sense. I'm sure Heyman had ideas. Yeah, I'm sure, especially for his stuff. It's act, it's very good week to week storytelling over this these two shows. Yeah. I, I've been going through the WWE Network and watching. Uh, they have Mid Atlantic and Mid South from uh, late '81 until about '86. So I've been kind of going through. You know, I'll do a month of Mid South and a month of uh, Mid Atlantic. And I had just finished watching Mid-Atlantic when I turned this show on. It, it blended in perfectly. Like, this was a yeah. perfectly fine territorial wrestling show. In my heart of hearts, I kind of wish we were doing that, too, as much as I love ECW. Because some of that old Mid-Atlantic stuff I haven't seen. And that was, so I'm going to have to look that up and start watching that myself. You know, Ben, I was just thinking that uh, it might be it might be coming to be time for us to expand our operations. Maybe into a sister show where we we review some other stuff that, you know, some different stuff. Oh yeah. So, totally. uh, I'm maybe, certainly down for that. Yeah. Maybe you, uh, it, it, it kind of like the Brian and Vinny show for yeah. uh, fans of that. A so potpourri kind of thing. Yeah. So, you know, maybe you and I will do that. I have an idea. So we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that in the back end. Awesome. I don't know where I, oh, okay. Uh, uh yeah. Jonathan Hotbody uh, versus Tommy Cairo. Was that the same suicide blondes promo as from last week? Um, I don't know if it was exactly the same, but it was so close that I couldn't tell you what the differences were if it was different. It was substantively the same. Yeah. And then we get Jonathan Hotbody versus Iron Man Tommy Cairo in this long-awaited grudge match. It has been building for a long time. <laughs> I wasn't really waiting for it, but it has been building. Jay Sully speaks for me when he doesn't understand this gimmick with the guys changing their names and Johnny Hotbody insisting that he's blind. Yeah, that's weird. Candido interferes a bunch. Hot body hit what they called a superplex, but would look to me like a near miss at a disaster. <laughs> yes, and I blame Kyra <laughs> for that because if you notice, Hot Body is trying to put his foot up there so that he can actually do the move, and uh, Kyra won't move his hand, so there's not any space between his leg and his hand for Hot Body to put his foot. Yeah, uh, Tommy Cairo was very green at this point, and. I don't remember if he stayed in the business long enough to ever not be green. Uh, maybe. He did go over to Japan and work UWFI. So. Oh, I. well, that's uh, that's a project for the uh, the potpourri. Yeah, we need definitely. To, we need to watch some... Uh, but I have so much great wrestling that, that we could watch. Oh, I yeah. Whole, I, I was going to tell you... Um, are you familiar with uh, Plex Media Server? I am familiar with it, yes. And I have a Plex server with not only like 500 movies, but um, more wrestling than than a reasonable person could ever watch. It's like oh, my wow. own private Netflix. So that's pretty badass. Know, there's if you if you would like to hear Ben and I review more wrestling, just let, let us know. know. And if you don't, uh, you might get it anyway. That's right. I'm, I'm gonna assume that anybody who listens to this podcast might uh, might take the journey with us. Hopefully so. Hopefully so. Hot Body and Candido collided on the apron. Tommy Cairo got a cradle and the pin. I, I had a couple of questions about this, and I'm only going to bring them up because you and I have both rightly been somewhat critical of AEW's refereeing as to what they ignored, especially in the first week, which, to their credit, they have fixed about when something is not a disqualification. Yeah, Can't. there were some problems with that on these shows. And, you know, uh, Jim Molyneux, friend of the podcast, he – he has said that uh, he would be happy to come on the podcast and talk oh, about awesome. the stuff with us. So uh, 
we should we should keep a list of questions that we want to ask Jim Molino. Sure, that would be great. Um, I don't know that this rises to a question, but I did notice that Candido was reaching into the ring, which I guess to give credit, he did stop the count and admonish Candido. But you know, I, I expected a little more. I realize that this is a feud that's been building, but I'm a little annoyed that. Uh, of the team of Johnny Hotbody and Chris Candido, I was watching Johnny Hotbody wrestle. Well, I already liked Jonathan Hotbody better than I liked Johnny Hotbody because he didn't do anywhere near the stalling. Which, granted, this is a big grudge match, so it would be kind of weird if he had. But I like I like Chris Candido better than I like most people who are on this show. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Terry Funk, Eddie Gilbert, Chris Candido, and then J.T. Smith. Those those are the people that I like on this show. And then they continued brawling as the show closed, and you could actually see the guys come out to break up the fight. Like, when this show goes off, it, the credits are on, like, a blue background. Mm-hmm. But they had it kind of, uh, what's the opposite of opaque? They kind of see-through, where you could still see, uh, you could see the guys breaking up the fight as the credit rolls. That was neat, but remember what I just said when we get to the end of the next episode. That was a good episode. It was. It advanced all the storylines that it needed to. Um, it, it feels like we're building to a resolution of some storylines, which is also much needed because some of this stuff's been dragging on for a bit much. It's about to overstay its welcome. And yeah, a, a you and know, I'm, I'm excited that we're almost done with these, uh, Cabrini college tapings and we're about to go to the ECW arena. Yes. And the introduction of Polly dangerously, I mean, not even looking at it from, as a historical moment, just the energy and the ability to cut promos that he brings is fantastic. I did think it was kind of odd that they took stuck him with Gilbert just because Gilbert's so good on the mic too, but an embarrassment of riches. But it does I mean, make sense that the Dangerous Alliance would align with Hot Stuff International. I am sure that it would have built to a, a rupture, but unfortunately, Eddie Gilbert will not stay with ECW for a uh, very extended period of time. Yes. May 11th, 1993, Eastern Championship Wrestling. I don't know if this is a normal thing, and I'm just now noticing it, but on this show, Jay Sully looked terrified to be on camera. I was had the same thing. I- <laughs> And it, it kind of started last week. It looked like he had PTSD about something. And I was like, what in the hell happened to Jay Sully? He was more confident. But, man, I don't know. Maybe all the maybe, brawling around him got to him or something. Yeah, maybe it was when uh, Terry Funk started throwing chairs at Eddie Gilbert all at ringside. And it, it, <laughs> Could be. It rattled, it rattled the poor fella. He and Ty Gordon run down the card. We have our hair versus tag title match. We have a lumberjack match between Tommy Cairo and Jonathan Hotbody. And if time permits, we are going to get a mixed tag team match with the Sandman and Peaches against the Rockin' Rebel and Tigra. I cannot wait. I will have to say that Sully does not do a good job of feigning surprise at any of this. They replayed the angle from a few weeks ago when Rebel broke the surfboard over Sandman's head. Still they showed cool the. Moment. That was. Uh, they show the DQ that Tiger caused in the title match the week after that. Gordon announces that he has just signed a Texas chain match between Eddie Gilbert and Terry Funk. So uh, I assumed that he was also impressed with Terry Funk's horse's fart. Yeah. <laughs> it would appear so. It's kind of <laughs> odd that the, the way Funk was talking, the match had already been signed. And here I know. Was, uh, I have it written down. Paul E. Dangerously comes out to confront Todd Gordon. 
He says that the chain match will not happen. Gordon, who just said that he just signed the match, says that the contract was signed weeks ago. Yeah. Which is it, Gordon? Which is it? <laughs> they argue about whether or not the match is going to happen. I assume it will. Uh, Paulie implies that he had sex with Todd Gordon's wife for let me, the let first me read that of- quote. Because that is that popped me. The only person who disappointed me was your wife last night. And I was like, holy hell, Polly. <laughs> Talk about working stiff. Jesus. Uh, oh, Polly. Other than that, uh, this was a great promo. Polly is great. And I know that everyone knows this already, but it bears repeating. Yeah, Paul Heyman is a good promo. Yeah, and, and the second quote from Polly from this segment that you could not say today or should not say and probably shouldn't have said back then you are as useless as a woman from philadelphia and i was like damn paulie yeah he's really stiff against philly yeah yeah we but, get another but, video of terry funk on his ranch <laughs> i don't know if i can do it. <laughs> you can do it you've been waiting for this this is your moment you got this Terry Funk drives his tractor up to the camera. He talks about having the proper equipment and being prepared, whether you're a rancher or a professional wrestler. And then he says, when you're out here on a place like this, hey, you might be confronted with varmints, coyotes, coons, rattlesnakes, predators, perverts, perverts. (laughs) Well, it looks like one is headed this way. We see a person come into frame, and I am not sure if this was a man or a woman. It had a it had a male voice, or they had a male voice. They should never call a person it. But it looked like the hair. It looked like a woman, and I assumed that it was maybe Terry's wife or one of his daughters. But it, we never see this person's face. Right. So it doesn't matter. I was just a little bit confused by it. We see the back of a person, a human person, a humanoid person, presumably. Wearing a long-sleeved white shirt and a red flannel vest. With Funk asks who he is. He says, I'm Eddie Gilbert's brother from Tennessee, and I'm here to challenge you. Terry asks what his name is. He says his name, his name is Real Hot Stuff. <laughs> uh, I was and wondering if they were actually going to give Doug a shout-out there. but it- <laughs> I, wondered, I wondered, too. Terry punches him in the stomach. And then this segment went from good to great. They do do a jump cut. And suddenly Terry Funk is no longer fighting a person wearing a long sleeve white shirt and a red flannel vest. He is now fighting a dummy, a doll with long white sleeves and a red flannel vest. Yes. He picks up the doll over his head, spins it around, slams it into the front scoop on his tractor, starts the tractor lifts the scoop, drops the doll to the ground, runs over it, and then backs over it and runs over it some more. And then Terry Funk cackles like a madman over the fact that he is going to fight Eddie Gilbert in a Texas Chain Match Massacre. I sat there watching that and enjoying every minute of it, and but I couldn't help but think, I wonder what Cornette would say about that. <laughs> because it was corny, and but not corny like Cornette. But at the same time, it's Terry Funk, so it worked so damn well. So here was my thought. Number one, uh, Terry Funk is crazy, and everybody knows it. 
And uh, this is absolutely a Terry Funk thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So <laughs> I was completely okay with it from that angle. I can't believe I wrote 272 words to describe this <laughs> two minute and 30 second video. Well, there was a lot there. And Definitely you lot. know what? I, I do not regret it in the least because our listeners deserve the very best description of Terry Funk promos that we can give. Well, especially when it's one of the best things on either episode. I laughed and laughed and laughed. I think I DM'd you on Twitter that I was crying. I was laughing so hard. You did. I, I have to say that I liked the horse promo a little <laughs> bit better, but this was really good too. The, they were both great, but just that stupid, the stupid thing with the tractor and the doll <laughs> just made me laugh so hard because it was so ridiculous. Another thing about it, I can tell you're not from Texas because if you were from Texas, you would know you can't just walk up on somebody's ranch <laughs> like this. Where yeah. <laughs> yeah. The good old Texas-Tennessee rivalry from back with his feud with Jerry Lawler. Love it. There was a uh, Cornette promo, I think, in World Class that he's talked about. He was talking about the Alamo, and he said all these cowardly Texans, and they were saved by a few good men from Tennessee. I was, I, I was just writing today how, how I conceive of sort of my uh, my studies on pro wrestling. I was thinking of it, of how professional wrestling reflects culture, and that yes. is one example. The, the Tennessee-Texas long-simmering feud. Definitely. I completely and totally agree with that. There's actually, not to wax too scholarly on this, but I would love to either do or see somebody do something with Kamala and the Zambui Express and, and Kabuki and the way that the mysterious foreigner and the the you know person of color threat is portrayed throughout the 70s and 80s in pro wrestling. Man, you know... Ben, I'm, there's so much stuff that we could watch and have really interesting conversations about. So we need to, we need to uh, really think about this offshoot podcast. I am all engines ahead on that, my friend. Are are, are you all in? I am all in, double or nothing. <laughs> Full gear. <laughs> yeah, whatever the next one is. The Super Destroyers versus Larry Winters and Tony Stetson. Titles versus hair. No DQ. I forgot that it was no DQ until a few minutes into the match when they reminded us. And this is where I wrote, Winters and Stetson jumped the Super D's at the bell, so they were definitely doing the dog thing. They, <laughs> yes. As promised last week, Tommy Cairo appears and handcuffs himself to the turd. A good point here is that they did not start the match until he was handcuffed, which I appreciated since that was a stipulation was so the story of this match is that it's do or die for the challengers this is their last shot and uh they're gonna lose their hair if they don't win but the manager is neutralized so this is the best shot that they are going to have that they've had that they're going to get so they are despite being the baby faces the aggressors in the match do you see do you see how you can tell stories in the ring Yes, definitely. Uh, it was so good. Um, and I actually have to give wonderful credit for something that he said in this match. It was after Stetson did a wacky hand thing before either dropping an elbow or a chop to a downed opponent. And he goes, it looks more like he's playing charades and he has a windmill. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, your point about the storytelling, they actually did a really good job of Stetson and Winners 
going all out and it kind of taking the Super D's back. They brawl outside. One of the Super D's hits winners with a chair. That was the point that the they reminded me that it was a no DQ match. Then, so the cane got thrown into the ring, and I I, I guess the the illegal Super D did it that he got the cane from from the turd. And That's kind of what they said other. afterward, but I had no idea how it. Right, got it, it the the cane sailed into the ring from off screen. Yes. Stetson caught it, hit the Super D with it, pins him, and we had new tag team champions. The baby faces win. They're the champions. They don't have to shave their heads, and they celebrate their success with their friend Tommy Cairo. This was a thumbs up segment. It was. And the Super D's do not take the loss well. They throw a table no. into the ring and grab chairs like they're going to storm the ring. It cuts away, so we don't know whether they actually did for the live crowd or not. But I'm assuming not. And I think this might be the last time that we see the Super D's. I don't think that's correct. Uh, but I'm, I'm just I'm just remembering. I haven't looked it up recently, but I, I seem to recall that th- there's more to come. With the I would not be sad about that. I mean... I was tired of seeing them in this feud, although I thought this was a good blow-off match. But I guess we'll see. Eddie Gilbert and Jimmy Snuka with Paulie Dangerously and Don Morocco against J.T. Smith and Max Thrasher. Max Thrasher is billed from being from Milwaukee, and he looks like he's from Milwaukee. So that's <laughs> it. Paulie does the introductions for his guys. He was almost as great as in 1993 as he is now. <laughs> yes. Uh, Paulie sends Stevie Wonderful to watch the monitors and take notes for him, and uh, Stevie agrees. So we get Paulie dangerously on commentary <laughs> with poor Jay Sully, who is so at, outclassed. <laughs> he looks at Jay Sully and he says, "What the hell is your name?" <laughs> and then Jay says, "My name is Mr. Jay Sully." <laughs> who the fuck introduces themselves as Mister? Um, Jay Sully, man, <laughs> don't be sleeping on that. You must respect the Jay Sully. They, sh- they shake hands, and Paul says, I might let you live. <laughs> so, Ben, I have a question for you. I have an answer. We, we, I, I don't know if you do. Well, you did, because we touched on this. Uh, why the fuck is J.T. Smith the job guy when he's one of the five best wrestlers on these shows? I have no idea, dude. That I do not have an, a legitimate answer for, but he is so good. Although that reverse quote-unquote body slam of of superfly was super weird and not a reverse body slam by any mean but it was a good job covering by the announced team so they get the heat on poor jt smith because as i stated he can sell like a motherfucker uh, yeah i guess that's probably the reason to get everybody <laughs> else over max thrasher tags in uh he's the shit so it takes about 30 seconds for him to get pinned with the superfly splash yeah and nothing really even happened to him. He's actually, like, getting some offense on Superfly. Eddie Gilbert runs in. They kind of double-team and hit him with a backbreaker from Gilbert, and then he hits the Superfly. I was like, okay, that was super over. But I want to go back to that reverse body slam spot just because okay. it just shocked me so much. So what happens is JT lifts Snuka for a body slam. And I don't know if he wasn't expecting Snuka to jump or what, but he lifts him super high, like... You know, almost like press slam high. And then he, like, loses his balance and falls backward. And Superfly basically lands on his damn head, J.T. Smith. And then Smith covers Snuka. And I was like, okay. But anyway, that just... Yeah. I was like, what? For the second week in a row, we got a rambling, nonsensical backstage promo from Sal Belomo. You said you got something from this one, though. I did. 
uh, was that he hates everybody but little kids, and he likes little kids <laughs> because nobody else likes little kids, so he's going to like little kids. Like, All right. Salvalomo. He's terrible, but he's kind of great. <laughs> that, he's getting a lot of time. I, I will say that. Speaking of terrible, but kind of great, we got Wildman Salvalomo versus the Canadian Wolfman. Yes. I was so happy. <laughs> I was so happy when I saw this match in the ring. <laughs> Paulie, ever a man after my own heart, is fascinated by the Canadian Wolfman. As one should be. You know, the... I hadn't even noticed that the Canadian Wolfman had tattoos on him until he yes. pointed it out. <laughs> He's a big, fat, bald guy covered in shitty tattoos, wearing tattered blue jeans and white boots, yeah. with red tights on under his tattered blue jeans. Yeah. He is the worst slash best jobber I have ever seen. I love him. He definitely goes all out as far as throwing his body around to sell. I want I want my favorite my favorite early ECW tag team back of the Canadian Wolfman and the Kodiak Bear. Well, yes, I do too. That's a shame <laughs> that they never held the title. Uh, it is, man. Imagine imagine them against the public enemy, or them against <laughs> the Dudley Boys, or the Eliminators, or Rob Van Dam and Sabu. And the oh, gangsters. The gangsters. The gangsters. Oh, so much. So much of a missed opportunity. Yes. We got a lumberjack match. Oh, did I say that uh, uh, Belomo... Won? Well, you called Canadian Wolfman a jobber, which kind of states <laughs> that Belomo's going over, but that Belomo, Belomo hits won. a big splash and won. <laughs> In two minutes and 11 seconds. And Paul Lee made another weird crack about Todd Gordon's wife. Yeah. But... Uh, the match was exactly as terrible slash great as I imagined it to be. <laughs> yep. Then we got a lumberjack match between Jonathan Hotbody and Iron Man Tommy Cairo. With like eight, maybe, lumberjacks. I mean, I couldn't really tell. But I know. Like, I was like, as I was trying to count them because at first it was only like one on each side of the ring. <laughs> yeah. But they finally kind of got a little spaced out. Uh, <laughs> this was the most generic lumber match I have ever seen. It was definitely very odd because the only one who ever went outside was Hotbody, and he didn't necessarily have to be sent outside by Cairo. He would just randomly roll himself outside like he forgot that they were going to beat his ass when he went outside, so it was just strange. Paulie and Sully argue about all the silliness with Johnny Hotbody that I keep pointing out, like the name and the fact that he's not blonde but insists he is. Yeah, I don't know. I looked all around my immediate era area for something to distract me from this boring ass match. <laughs> I, I guess I could have grabbed one of these books here. I have a huge, like four huge stacks of books right here. So I guess I should have started reading, but I did, I did decide to keep watching the match and I'm glad I did because the match sucked, but this finish was perfect. It was referee Jim Molino, friend of the podcast gets distracted outside with the lumberjacks. Hunter Q. Robbins the turd runs down the aisle, hits Tommy Cairo with his cane, and Hotbody gets the pin. Yes. The turd got revenge on Cairo for his role in the Super D's losing the tag titles. Exactly. A, a perfectly logical fuck finish, Ben. Yes, it was so good. I'm curious as to going forward, that means he's going to be associated with um, the Suicide Blondes instead of the Super Destroyers now, or if this was just a one-off thing of him getting revenge. You know what? Uh, I could I could get behind the turd managing the Suicide Blondes. I could too, because that would mean Johnny Hotbody would talk less. We've got a little while before Candido goes to Smoky Mountain, right? So I hope uh, I hope we get to see I hope we get to see that. 
Hmm. Yeah, I hope we get to see that too. They replay the video from last week with Terry Funk and his farting horse. It's <laughs> still great. I think it's played on every wrestling show that for here until the end of time. Oh, uh, I, I, they should put that on Raw. <laughs> As we were told might happen, we get our mixed tag team match: the Rock and Rebel and Tigra against the Sandman and Miss Peaches. The Sandman and the Rebel do some terrible wrestling. Peaches stands awkwardly on the apron in one corner. Tycrew just stands on the floor like a valet for like two minutes where she finally gets on the apron. Well, but and the then, weird thing... Go ahead. Then when the rebel goes to tag her, she backs away. So clearly, she wants less than no part of this. Yes, and that's exactly what I was going to say. So it was so strange that he keeps going to tag her and she's just... And she's not even on the apron. She's like standing on the floor. It's so weird. Uh, Paulie makes some comments about the Rock and Rebel beating up women that are very uncomfortable in retrospect after what we uh, discovered on the podcast last week. Or a couple of weeks. Whenever the last time we did an episode was. Finally, the women get in the ring and they start to do a little cat fight. Sandman goes to break it up. Rebel jumps him again. And the show ends. That was an odd little closing match. And to my point earlier, unlike last week, they don't show the action during the credits, which we know that they could have done because they just did it. I mean, let's be fair. It was probably very terrible action, and I wouldn't want to see it either. But if you omit the mixed tag match and cut about four of the five minutes out of that Lumberjack match, this was a great show. Yes. The best ECW show that we have watched so far. We had uh, the... The Terry Funk promo was just the stupidest, funniest thing I've ever seen. Uh, the tag title match was a good story. Uh, always happy to see JT Smith take some bumps. You know, got got my guy, the Canadian Wolfman. This this was a good time, you know? It was, and the show has continued to be logical for the most part. I mean, there are a few inconsistencies that we pointed out. But it has paid off its angles. Everything has built. It's felt natural. Nothing has really felt hot-shotted. There have been programs that are now reaching their conclusion that feel natural. They didn't overstay, even though they came close. And like you said, this was the best episode we've seen so far. And each episode has gotten a little bit better. Yeah, I agree. Now, Ben, uh, we had something else we were going to do this week. Did you remember? I do. We had homework. And uh, if you can hear that paper rustling, I have my homework in front of me. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm trying to find mine uh, here in my notebook. So I had the idea, for whatever reason, that it would be fun to... I- I've been playing uh, Total Extreme Warfare again. And some of you will know about that. For those of you that don't, Total Extreme Warfare is a wrestling booking simulator where you run a wrestling company and you're in charge of... Uh, you hire and fire talent, you book, you uh, do TV deals, you do all kinds of stuff. So it, it's very it's very immersive, and it's been kind of getting my head in uh, a fantasy booking mode. And so I, I decided that uh, I, I was going to put together, uh, I'm calling it uh, my ultimate dream wrestling card. And I, uh, I brought it up to Ben, and he thought it was a good idea. So we decided that that would be a fun feature on the podcast. 
Yes. Um, I've always enjoyed fantasy booking. I used to play some text-based ones back in the early days of the internet, some like GeoCities, web forums, and crap like that. Uh, about a year ago, a, a friend of mine, actually, you know, Alan Thomas, who mm-hmm. went with us to the um, New Japan Pro Wrestling G1 Climax opening date in Dallas, he and I did a thing where he challenged me to book six months of Memphis wrestling and gave me the wrestlers, and I had to come up with a coherent storyline and a blow-off. And that was super fun, so I was all about this. Man, that's awesome. You know what? We should, uh, when we start our other podcast, that should be a regular uh, feature that uh, we uh, we take turns fantasy booking. Yeah, totally. I'm down with that. So but who wants to go first? I, I was just going to ask, do you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? We can either each present our card totally, or we can take turns starting I, I, with the I opening think we match. Should do it, I think we should do it totally. Okay. So, well, this was your idea, so I'll oh, let you go first. All right. Uh, so I said to come up with a name and a venue, so uh, the dumb lame name that I thought of at the last minute was Wrestling Beyond Time. Uh, the rules were that you could use any wrestler from any era uh, in their prime, the only restriction being that you can only use uh, the person on one match on the card. And uh, the venue is uh, the Allstate Arena in Chicago, one of the one of the Fair. best uh, atmospheres. Have you ever been to the Allstate Arena? Yes, I went to some WWE pay-per-view there a few years ago. I don't remember which one. I'm, I have been to the Sears Center because I, I was at All In, but I have not. It's still one of my bucket list things. I would like to go to a WWE show at the Allstate Arena just because that is a, uh, historically one of their hottest arenas. And people like Steve Austin has said that's his favorite arena to wrestle in. And sure, uh, formerly known as the Rosemont Horizon for uh, old-timers who don't follow corporate naming rights for NBA arenas. Well, I mean, why would you screw corporations? The opening match is going to be an eight-man tag team match with uh, the team... That will be led to the ring by James E. Cornette. First, we will have Loverboy Dennis and Beautiful Bobby, the Midnight Express, and their tag team partners, The Revival, against the team of the Rock and Roll Express and the Young Bucks. That is a hell of a rematch. And uh, figure heels over in 20 minutes via the tennis racket. Next is a 10-woman tag team match with the theme of the Women's Revolution versus Joshi Pro Press. And the team representing the Women's Revolution, Sasha Banks, Charlotte Flair, Bailey, Becky Lynch, and Ronda Rousey, against the team representing Joshi Pro Press, Hana Kimura, Mayu Iwatani, Minami Toyota, Bull Nakano, and Aja Kong. Oof. I figure that's a, that's a hell of a match. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kong takes it. everybody. Kong takes it over Sasha with the spinning back fist in about 15 minutes. Hell yeah. <laughs> the next match is going to be a hardcore match. The team of Terry Funk and Cactus Jack will take on the team. And this is a little out there. This is a this is going to be a dream tag match kind of situation. Terry Funk and Cactus Jack against the team of John Moxley and Tomohiro Ishii. Wow. All right. Cool. Like a total clash of what hardcore wrestling is right can be construed as yeah i like that but you know i think that if we could uh put this match together with a time machine grab uh terry funk from about 1989 grab cactus jack from the early 90s and moxley and ishii now those guys would have a 
freaking incredible match. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, this, these are dream matches. And everyone that you've listed so far would be blow away. And I think that one might be the best one you've listed so far. And uh, I feel like Mick would want to put the young guy over. Not, not that he's a young guy. Uh, I said Ishii over Cactus in 22 minutes with the Brain Buster. Fair. The next match, a 10-man tag match. And this is going to be the last tag match before we get into the meat. The theme of this match is King's Road versus Strong Style. The team representing King's Road, Kenta Kobashi, Yunakiyama, Akira Taiwe, Toshiaki Kawada, and Mitsuharu Masawa. Against the team of Yuji Nagata, Kensuke Sasaki, Masahiro Chono, Shinya Hashimoto, and Keiji Muto. Love it. And uh, this is the one finish that I'm going to cop out on. Uh, we're going to do a 30-minute draw here. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, with that minute's talent, you can't really complain about that. The next and match. One sorry, comment before you go on is I can tell your love for New Japan Pro Wrestling in the way that you've constructed this card so far. Because it feels <laughs> very much like a New Japan Pro Wrestling card with all the multi-man matches. I didn't do that on purpose, but I realized that I was doing it when I, when I said it. Because <laughs> yeah. that's a, I, you know, I much prefer that way of building a card than the horrible way that WWE does it that takes you out of the show two or three times right. over the the show. A New Japan show just builds and you get more into it as it goes yes, on. Definitely, which is what I tried to do. I didn't take exactly the same track to that you did, though. Go ahead. So we'll, we'll, we we can have our intermission then. And then the rest of the show is going to be singles matches. And the first one is going to be UWFI rules with Minoru Suzuki taking on Kurt Angle. Oh, man. Damn. And I'm not even sure if I would want to use young Minoru Suzuki or modern 51-year-old Minoru Suzuki. I would almost say go with the 51-year-old because it would just be so much better. I'm thinking 2003 Kurt Angle against 2019 Minoru Suzuki. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd pay a ticket to see that. Holy shit. And uh, Angle with uh, an ankle lock in about 25 minutes. I think that would be a incredible match. And then our next match, a battle between two of the meanest sons of bitches to ever put on a pair of wrestling boots. It's going to be Stone Cold Steve Austin against Ron Wright. <laughs> East Tennessee now whooping. Oh, right. There will be an East Tennessee dog whooping, and there will be a mud hole getting stomped in somebody's ass and walked dry. I figure we're going to get some chisel action. We're going to get a, a callback to WrestleMania 13 with Austin, a bloody mess after that. My chisel! I'm going to hit you with my chisel! <laughs> and Austin will uh, make the comeback, hit the stunner, and get the win. Yeah. I, I figured that that kind of match would be, would be right up your alley, Ben. I do appreciate that, yes. I think you're going to appreciate this, too. The next match, The Undertaker, one-on-one with Bruiser Brody. Yeah, yeah. And this is just going to be two big, mean sons of bitches beating the hell out of each other, trying to force the other to sell exactly what you would think it would be. I'm thinking, uh, you know... 83 to 85 Brody against maybe 2006 Undertaker. Sounds good. I think that Undertaker, you know, he is a great character in the 90s, but I think he actually peaked as a wrestler in the mid 2000s. Definitely. Definitely. And I just, I have a vision of uh, Brody hitting the King Kong knee drop and Undertaker setting up. And uh, I think if, if I got an older Brody, 
I, I could, uh, he would be okay with uh, doing the job in 20 minutes with a tombstone, you think? Maybe. I don't know. I, for another Texas guy and the guy that he kind of helped break into the business, sure, why not? I could see, I could see Brody, had he lived, doing a, doing a job for the Undertaker. Yeah, and this is a dream, you know, dream yeah. car, so this is like the be-all, end-all car of that year or decade, presumably with a... a Great build-up. So I can see him doing that to end the feud, because it's not really going to hurt him that much. Ben, are you ready for the semi-main event? I was born ready, my friend. The Nature Boy, Ric Flair, one-on-one, with the once-in-a-century talent, Hiroshi Tanahashi. Oh, I thought you were going to steal my main there, but you did not. Go right (laughs) ahead. Uh, 30 minutes, classic, just... 89 flair against Tanahashi from maybe like five, six years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, it, Hiroshi Tanahashi, this is going to sound weird, but I did not fully appreciate how great he was until I saw how great he still is, despite not being the greatest anymore. Yeah. And I just think that these two would have the most incredible match. Hard to uh, I'm, I'm picturing Flair working the knee for a long time and Tanahashi struggling in the figure four and, and you know, turning it over. And Flair, because Flair was always so great when somebody turned the figure four over on him. Yeah. And uh, Tanahashi in 30 minutes with the high fly flow. Nice. The main event between, I, I, I don't know, it. there's no other way to say it. Two of the most electrifying performers that I have ever seen in a wrestling ring. Kazuchika Okada is going to go one-on-one with The Rock. Oh, okay. And I'm imagining uh, something on the level of Rock Hogan in Toronto as far as just a battle of charisma. Yeah. And uh, you can't tell me that Okada and The Rock would not have a fucking great match. No, they totally would. 25 minutes, Okada goes for the Rainmaker, you know, goes where he waist locks the guy and then spins him around, and then The Rock's going to catch him with a rock bottom and get a quick pin. Ah, all right. Excellent card, my friend. That is your your main event. I would uh, pay a premium for ringside seats to that. (laughs) I bet. Ben, uh, uh, what have you got for us? I have Red Sun Rising coming to us from the Tokyo Dome in Tokyo, Japan, with your announced team of Jesse the Body Ventura on color and Kevin Kelly on play-by-play. Nice. We will open I the car. Think about announcers. Jim Ross and Paul Heyman. Let's do that. Oh, that would that, be that, that's, gonna, that's my commentary team. In there you go. All right, Ben, go on with your car. What, what's what's our uh, opening match? Our opening match is the Midnight Express with Jim E. <laughs> Cornette against the British Bulldogs. Oh, you know that's the one thing that breaks my heart is that uh, the Midnight they they talked to Vince in about '86, mm-hmm. and it, they didn't go. But it, I just oh, the Midnight against the Bulldogs that would have been a, amazing. Yeah, that would have been an incredible match. Um, I have the Bulldogs picking the win up after about 20 minutes. With do we get Matilda chasing Cornette around the ring? We do, we do. Uh, <laughs> Cornette attempts to interfere, but Matilda gets loose and chases him off. Awesome. We're off to our, a great start. <laughs> our second match is an ECW three-way dance with Taz, Samoa Joe, and Tomohiro Ishii. Oh, we think a lot of the same ways, don't we? <laughs> we do. Um, 
And the eliminations go like this. Taz gets eliminated first by Samoa Joe. At about the 10-minute mark, we get another 10 minutes of Joe and Ishii with Ishii oh. picking up the win with the Brain Buster. Oh, man. Just, oh, that's a fucking incredible match. Yeah, Love it. Uh, our third match on the card is a light heavyweight extravaganza with low key versus oh. Will Ospreay. Oh, wow. And I give them 25 minutes. And yeah, because, you better. Yeah. Well, exactly. And because I'm a key mark, I'll have him go over with the Warriors way after Osprey misses a dive. Just just an aside, did you see uh, Osprey and El Fantasmo from King of Pro Wrestling? Not yet. It's fucking good. Oh, I can't imagine that it's not. Those are two fantastic workers. Yeah. Um, our fourth match on the card is only gets 10 minutes, and you'll see why, but it'll be a hot 10 minutes of all-out action, the Miracle Violence combination versus the Road Warriors. Oh. My favorite name for a tag team of all time, the Miracle Violence Connection. Yes. Dr. Death and Terry Gordy. Yes. That's, a, that's a hell of a match. What's the finish? This is where I cheesed out. Because <laughs> I couldn't think of any way that they I would think... agree. <laughs> so it goes to a no contest because they just won't stop fighting each other in and out of the ring. Yeah. Hey, it's forgivable. We're, we're, we're both allowed one fuck finish on the show. Yes. Match five. Big Van Vader versus Brock Lesnar. Oh, yeah. And uh, uh, Vader from '92. Uh, yep, '93, but '92 works as well. Against Brock now. Yeah, although I was actually thinking um, Brock from his initial run, or well, not his initial run, but when he first came back. So the Brock that, that mauled and destroyed. Yeah, yeah, the one who mauled and destroyed John Cena. <laughs> and that goes 12 minutes with Brock lifting Vader up to go for the F5 and collapsing under the weight and Vader getting the win after a Vader bomb. Uh, I, since you brought up Vader, did you see uh, Dynamite, I think, week before last? I can't I can't remember what the match was, but somebody did a Vader bomb. Hmm. And Tony Schiavone, who knew Leon White, but who has not watched wrestling in 20 years... Yes. And never watched Vader in the WWF. He goes, is that what that's called? A Vader bomb? <laughs> yeah. And he was just, he was so delighted to hear that that move was, was named for his friend, Leon White. I Dude, he is having the time of his <laughs> life on these shows and you can tell it. And I'm so happy for him because he, he got is, so much shit at the end of WCW. He, he's, he's redeeming his legacy as an announcer and he's having a great time and he's great. Match six, the Lucha Bros versus Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. Oh, Dylan. That's oh, I'm trying to imagine. This is crazy. That's uh, my my favorite tag team of all time, Arn and Tully, against the, the Lucha Brothers. I'm I I, I want to see this just because I you know, some matches are just so weird that you yeah. gotta see them. Like uh, Dalton Castle against Hiroki Goto, uh-huh. one, one of those New Japan ROH. It's just so weird that I've got to see it. <laughs> and I have the end coming at that at 18 minutes after Tully hits Phoenix with J.J. Shu and picks up the win. <laughs> Excellent. Um, our next match, Bam Bam Bigelow versus the Great Muta. And they had a match once. Did you? They it, probably it like, did. It was on like an it was on like an indie show. But yeah. they did have. I, I get. I'm not. I'm not trying to negate because this was, you know, way later, way past the primes. But yeah, yeah uh, great Muda and Bam Bam. 
And on that one, I have, after 18 minutes, Bam Bam catches Great Muta in his attempt at the moonsault, hits him with the greetings from Ashbury Park, and picks up the Duke. That's a nice finish. Thank you. I liked it. Uh, match eight, Misawa versus Brett the Hitman Hart. Who also had a match but yeah, uh, the conversation of who was the best wrestler of the 90s, I have always thought comes down to these two. Who, who's going to win and prove that they're the wrestler of the 90s? Well, if I had to choose a wrestler of the 90s, I would probably choose Bret Hart just because I had more of an emotional connection to him, even though I think Masawa might be a little better. But I gave the win to Masawa after 25 minutes. Um, Emerald Frosian picks up the win. Emerald Frosian. Next, we have, and this is this is a match that I'm sure has happened too, but it's such a great match that I put it on here anyway. Nick Bachwinkle versus Harley Race in a unification match for the AWA and NWA titles. Tommy Young, referee. Harley gets the win after a power driver and diving headbutt at 45 minutes to unify the two titles. Love it. Love it. And in our main event for who is the GOAT Greatest wrestler of all time, 1989, Ric Flair versus current Kasachika Okada. I did almost book that match. That would have been hilarious. <laughs> but I yeah. thought I, I, I was I was drawn to uh, Flair and Tanahashi. But they would yeah. have a great match, too, uh, without oh, a doubt. Yeah, and this would have, you know, two of the best workers of all time, Okada and Flair. That would absolutely be phenomenal. And I have Okada picking up the win after a Rainmaker at 59 minutes and 57 seconds. Oh, that's, uh, wow. So it, the NWA world title on the line, I'm assuming? No, just because I had to, like, Harley or, Race. No, we, had, the, we just had the, uh, okay. We'll, uh, with we'll, the 70s uh, version, so we'll say the big Okada, gold belt. The Okada, Okada, gold Okada will uh, re- retain the IWGP heavyweight title then. Yeah. Man, uh. Somebody needs to hire us to book because we're great at it. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So I had suggested after we do that that we do a third dream card in oh, which we yeah. each would select a wrestler and then the other person would select the opponent and the finish. All right. So um, I, I'll throw it to you. I'll give you the first wrestler and we will make this, um, I guess, try and construct this from opening match to closing match. And in doing so, uh, I'm trying to think of who I want to see in the opening match. Also, we cannot, again, we can only use one wrestler, and we can't use the same wrestler. So for an opening match, let's just say I want to see Sting. Who would you choose as opponent, and what would the finish be? I was, uh, I, I was thinking about who I wanted to put in this match, because I, uh, I thought I was going first, but you said Sting. So I, I'm, I'm going to stick with my pick. We're going to do Sting. Against my pick, Owen Hart. Ooh, that would be a great match. And uh, that lends itself perfectly to the battle of the uh, Scorpion Deathlock versus the Sharpshooter. Yep. And uh, I think we'll leave, they'll uh, each get out of each other's hold, and then Sting will win with the Scorpion Death Drop. Nice. All right, match number two. Let's do do a a cruiserweight match, and I'm going to throw out somebody we talked about earlier, Chris Candido. Oh, Chris Candido. All right. So Candido it was a phenomenal talent who did not get the credit he deserves. 
And who would I throw him against in a cruiserweight match? You know, I, I, I'm going to kind of copy you and then I'm going to go with people who used, at least on occasion, a top rope powerbomb. And they may have had a match, but if so, I would want to go find it and watch it. But I don't think they did. Jushin Thunder Liger. Oh, I thought you were going to say Jado and Gato. It's way better. <laughs> oh, that's a oh, Candido. For, oh, I love that. Love that. And I'm going to have Liger go over just because I know Chris would not care. And he would be super excited to have been in that match. Candido and Liger would have been so great. Yeah. All right. So match three. Uh, Aja Kong. Okay. <laughs> Aja Kong. So I was going to throw someone to you, but you have preempted me and thrown Aja Kong at me. And who would I put her against? Holy crap. That is so tough. Because she was so good. She's great now. Yeah. No, totally. My problem is, is that anybody that I would, who I would initially say, that I would want to throw up against. She already had in that awesome women's rev versus Joshi pro. So I'm going to, yeah, but this is a singles match. I was a tag. True. True. But I am going to do a quick Google search and they had a match. match.net. I presume. (laughs) Yes. Um, And that looks like they did. So I'm going to go ahead and and do that. Go Charlotte, Charlotte Flair versus Aja Kong. That would be great, and I'm imagining uh, something like uh, maybe Rick against Jumbo or Rick against Tenru. That, that could very well happen, my friend. Um, so Aja Kong versus Charlotte, and of course Aja Kong wins, spinning back fists. Of course. Can't be any other way. All uh, right, so now it's my turn to throw to you. Think a little about outside the box. The Steiner Brothers. The Steiner Brothers. Let me think here. I want the Steiners against the team of Mitsuharu Masawa and Kenta Kobashi. Ooh, wow. That would be a stiff-ass match, and I would love it. Yes. All right, so what you got for the finish? Uh, what do I got for the finish? Um, you know what? Let's. Uh, it, it's, it's a special occasion. It's a dream card. Let's do Kobashi over Rick with a burning hammer. Boom. I love it. All right, this is uh, it's my turn to, uh, to throw to you now. It is. Uh, I'll give you some leeway here. Mick Foley in any inter- iteration. Well, that's super easy. I'm going to take Cactus Jack, and it's going to be against Bruiser Brody in a Bob Dwyer cage match. Oh, uh, perfect. Game, set, match. Yeah. and uh, Well, because that was one that I actually cut from my card. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I already knew exactly what I wanted to see um, with uh, Cactus, So and Brody wins. Of course. How many, how, how many matches is that? That was the fifth match. So we have five more to go. Throw me one. Dusty Rhodes, baby. Dusty Rhodes. You know, just for the promos, and because it plays off the feud going on in uh, AEW now, I want peak 70s Dusty Rhodes against 2019 Chris Jericho. Ooh, very interesting. Dusty catch him with an inside cradle. <laughs> yes. Son of a plumber. Son of a plumber. All Next right. Next of Dusty Rhodes. I have obtained the goals that many men only lay in bed and dream about night after night. I have wined and dined with kings and queens, and I have slept in alleys and dined on pork and beans. Living on the edge of a lightning bolt. Oh, 
That's funky. That's the American dream. Yes, sir. All right. Impromptu Dusty Rose Love Fest, because how can you not? Because it's my turn to uh, to throw a wrestler. Yes, sir. You know what? Uh, John Cena. Bah, 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 bah. John Cena. What era, John Cena? Uh, whichever you want. Okay. I almost want to go with the Dr. Thugonomics just because he was much better cutting promos then. But I won't. I'll go with Super Cena. Um, actually, well, towards the tail end of Super Cena when he was actually wrestling dudes like CM Punk and putting on really good matches. Yeah. And who am I going to throw into the ring but Tanahashi? You know what? That, that, that would be a great match. Yeah, I uh, was thinking who would get the most out of Cena, and I don't know that Tanahashi would get the most, but he would damn dear come close to it. Oh, absolutely. Tanahashi is, like, seriously, maybe the best worker of all time. Yeah, totally. Like, and he has just enough charisma. Well, not just enough. He has more than enough charisma to hang in there with John, and I can see them both stopping and playing to the crowd and the whole... I imagine the Cena versus Rock match just worked better because it's Tanahashi. Man, uh, how uh, how great was that Tanahashi Okada match that we saw in Dallas? Oh, dude, it's everything pro wrestling should be. It, it, that was that was beautiful, man. I loved that. Yeah, and Take, I give Tanahashi the win on that. Sorry, John, but Tanahashi deserves it more than you do. Gonna throw a, a tag team match for the next one. All right. Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko. Guerrero and Malenko. Awesome. I like both of those dudes a lot. I love Malenko. Um, And we don't even have to say anything about Guerrero because he's a legend for a reason. I I assume that everyone I meet loves Eddie Guerrero on principle. I just can't imagine any other way of living your life. Yeah, I can't imagine being a wrestling fan and not liking him. Um, honestly, because absolutely one of the greatest of all time. Um, Hiroshi Hashi and Kinsuki Sasaki. Oh, that's an awesome match. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. And I'm actually going to give Guerrero and Malenko the win because it's a dream match. And I think that's probably the only way they would ever actually go over that. Yeah. So it's my turn to throw it to you. Yep. Sean, Mother Truck and Michaels. Uh, we've already booked Okada on the show, haven't we? We have not. We have? Okay, that's my dream match. Michaels versus Okada. When you said the most electrifying earlier, that's... I mean, I should have known it was The Rock, but I was thinking Shawn Michaels. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, they are... Uh, I see a lot of ways that they are similar work. <laughs> yeah. You, you get what I mean? It, no, it is. Like, <laughs> I can't really explain it, but like everybody that I've said that to has, uh, has known what I was talking about. Yeah. And um, Okada, let's make Sean do a job. Rainmaker. Boom. So now we it's time for our main event. And you actually threw two to, to me, so I'm going to take the privilege and throw the last one to you. All right. Oh. I just got to look back over our card and decide who hasn't been used so that I can, uh, and honestly, justify somebody going on after Shawn Michaels and Okada. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a challenge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it totally is. Um, depending on who you put him with, he could do it. Macho Man Randy Savage. Macho Man Randy Savage. Well, um, I, th- I think I have a guy that he can do it with. Macho Man Randy Savage versus Terry Funk. Yeah, that would definitely do it. Terry would be a good sport, so uh, Macho over with the elbow. 
Awesome. That sounds like a pretty damn good card that we came up with working together. So I'll run it down to those who were not um, bothering to write it down. <laughs> we have an opening match at Sting versus Owen Hart with Sting going over, followed by Chris Candido versus Shushin Thunder Liger with Liger getting the win. Our third match is Aja Kong versus Charlotte with Aja Kong beating Charlotte, followed by the Steiner Brothers versus Masawa and Kobashi with Kobashi hitting the burning hammer on Rick to pick up the Duke. Followed by a barbed wire cage match between Cactus Jack and Bruiser Brody, which Brody wins after a King Kong knee off the top of the cage. Then after all that carnage is cleared, we get Dusty Rose versus Chris Jericho, with Dusty catching Chris in an inside cradle. Followed by John Cena versus Tanahashi, with Tanahashi hitting the high fly flow uh, and beating John Cena. Our next match is Guerrero and Malenko versus Hase and Sasaki, with Guerrero and Malenko getting the win. When Malenko has Hase trapped in the corner in the clover leaf, and Guerrero hits the frog splash on Sasaki and picks up the win. Shawn Michaels versus Okada, where Okada nails Michaels with a rainmaker to pick up the win. And on our main event, the Macho Man, Randy Savage versus Terry Funk, with Macho hitting the Macho Elbow to put the Wild Man from Texas down for the one, two, three. I'm in, man. Let's. Uh, I-, I would buy that pay per view. I would too. I would. I would. I would fly to. Uh, I would fly to. The Tokyo Dome or wherever to, to attend that card. That is a that is a fantastic card. Yeah. So, well, listeners, tell us what you thought about these three cards and where, and tell us what your dream matches are. Yeah, yeah. Talk to us about stuff. Let's uh let's get some. I'm really hoping that uh putting this as a bonus in the Outlaw History podcast feed and showing people what we do. Uh, will hopefully attract a few new listeners to the Oh My God cast, which we have said we very much enjoy doing and we're going to continue to do. And yeah, and uh, you might get more of us. So, you know, we're going to talk about it and hope you're into that. And if you're not, you might get it anyway. <laughs> right. Whether you like it or whether you don't, we're the best wrestling pod going today. Or that's what we aspire to be anyway. We're, uh, we've gone past the hour Broadway, and we are quickly approaching a 90-minute Broadway. So, uh, Ben, get, uh, get some plugs out there. All right. Um, let's see. We just dropped the Type O Negative review on my other podcast, the Thunderdome Metal Reviews podcast, in which we are doing a October and Halloween spectacular looking at horror metal albums. Um, give that a listen. You can find it on Twitter or Anchor or Spotify or one of several other places. What about yourself, Trey? What you got going on? Uh, I had, it's just throwing me off. I don't know what week it is because it's Sunday. But uh, a few days ago, I put up a new episode of the Outlaw History Podcast with Dr. Jarrett Rominski. We had a, he's an uh, American expat living in Canada. So we had a little chat about the Canadian election that he was watching with great interest, but, you know, couldn't vote in. And then... We talked about his book, The Limits of Loyalty, Ordinary People in Civil War, Mississippi. And we had a damn good conversation. So go to, if you're on the Oh My Godcast and ECW Retrospective podcast feed, go check out the Outlaw History podcast feed and listen to my interview with the devil history, Dr. Jarrett Rominski. Uh, 
remember I said earlier, uh, the Outlaw Historian Twitter account is unfortunately gone, apparently forever. What can I say? He burned too bright, too fast. Scallywag's a good name, though. The Scallywag Historian is a, a good name for you. Yeah, at, at Scallywag History. S-C-A-L-A-W-A-G History. You know, Ben, I was kind of thinking maybe, maybe this is a symbol. Maybe because the Outlaw Historian represents me coping with what was truthfully a very difficult time in my life and uh it ended right when i'm starting to hope that things might look up soon so maybe it's maybe there's maybe there really is some kind of poetry to the way that real life works itself out maybe it's a maybe it's a sign that i'm on to a new stage in my life there you go i think that's a great way to look at it and if nothing else you can manifest that into being still own the same web domain so that is still outlaw the www.outlawhistorian.net uh you can find links to both of my podcast feeds as well as links to uh patreon and all the other ways that you can support everything that i do here and uh yeah this was a long one but a good one ben I completely agree. We had to put on our working shoes and get through a uh, Broadway. We hope y'all enjoyed it, and we will talk to you again after a while. Adios. Bye.